Well, here we are, last message of the series, and uh, we saved the easiest topic for the last, all right? Evolution. And uh, one of the professors shared with me, there were a lot of questions last weekend on evolution, and he said, well, just come and listen to the message, which really makes me nervous, all right? But uh, we'll, we'll get through it one way or the other. But I want to start out by telling you about an atheist who went for a walk in the woods. He was admiring all the accidents that evolution had created. The beautiful grand trees, the powerful rushing river, the beautiful colors, the flowers in the meadow, the smells that went with them. When suddenly he heard a rustling in the bushes, he looked back to see what it was, and it was a seven-foot-tall grizzly bear that came charging at him, and he ran as fast as he could. As he was running, he turned around to see where the bear was, and he saw that it was gaining on him, and he ran even faster. Tears came to his eyes, and he began to cry. And when he looked back again, there was the grizzly bear closing in on him. And as he tried to run even faster, he tripped and he fell. As he rolled over onto his back, There stood the bear over him, its left paw reaching for him, its right paw raised to strike. And the atheist cried out, oh my God! And suddenly, time froze. The bear became like a statue. The river stopped flowing. The birds stopped chirping. And a bright light appeared all around him. And a voice came out of the light, and the voice said, You've denied me all these years, and have taught others to deny me as well. You attribute creation to some cosmic accident. Am I now to count you as a believer? The atheist responded back, Well, after all these years, I would be such a hypocrite to become a Christian. Could you make the bear a Christian? (laughs) Very well, said the voice. And the light went out. And the river began to flow. And the birds began to chirp. And the bear came back to life again and retracted its paws and formed its hands, its paws like this, and bowed its head and said, Dear Lord, I thank you for this bountiful meal which you have provided for me today. <laughs> Evolution. It is a tough subject, a difficult one to deal with. And you know, unfortunately, a lot of people think that evolution is truth. It doesn't cross their mind that it's an unproven man made theory. I like to watch the Discovery Channel or the uh, National Geographic Channel when I find them on someplace. And sometimes, you know, the animal planet. And it's always interesting to me, whenever they're talking about life, whether it's, you know, human life, animal life, whatever it is, they always talk about it in terms of Darwinian evolution and millions and billions of years and, you know, the whole thing and how it all came to be and attribute it, you know, to some kind of cosmic accident and, and process. Many of you have uh, children or grandchildren or many of you are students in public school or colleges or universities, more than likely you will be taught that 
evolution is fact and that the biblical sense of creation is fiction. And sometimes even ridiculed for daring to believe what the Bible says about creation. And oftentimes what is said to those of us who are believers is that we are ignoramuses to believe what the scriptures say, <clears throat> excuse me, about creation. That, that if we looked at the evidence outside of the Bible, we'd realize that there's a huge contradiction and that science is right and the Bible is wrong. But you know that people who say that haven't spent much time lately really looking at the evidence and realizing that it points to what the scriptures say rather than away from what the scriptures say. But when you have no room in your mind and in your belief system for God, you have to attribute it to something else. And I would suggest to you today that it take tonight, this weekend, that it takes more faith, more faith, to believe in evolution than it does to believe that God created everything we know and everything we see and experience. So what we're going to do this weekend is we're going to look at some evidence that corroborates what the scriptures already tell us, that God is the creator. Now, in order to do that, I'm going to be presenting just the tip of the iceberg, okay? There's a ton of stuff out there that I don't have the expertise nor the time to go into. I'm just going to give you kind of a 30,000 foot view of some things that I hope will just bring awe and inspiration into your heart and your life as you think about God, as you look around at creation and realizing we didn't get here to some primordial soup that spilled over when a lightning bolt hit it and something crawled out of it and, you know, it's been a process and here we are today. I hope you're going to be in awe and amazement at what God has done and how he's left a trail of evidence along the way that when we have the right frame of mind, we can see God is at work. But I want you to know that I'm not smart enough to come up with what I'm going to share with you, all right? That a lot of what I'm sharing with you comes from experts who I've read or studied in my library or, or uh, things that I've ordered and looked at. And one of the books that's been really helpful to me over this series, and I want to share it with you, is called The Questions Christians Hope No One Will Ask. And it's by Mark Middleburg. It is a great, great, great resource. And I, I commend it to you to order it, to get it. Go to Amazon.com or go to your Christian bookstore or however you want to do that. And uh, you'll find it to be a great resource as I have found it to be throughout this series. And so I'm borrowing a lot from Mark and then borrowing from some other uh, sources in my library and, and then other things that I've looked at and had conversations with, all right? So I want to give credit to where credit is due. But I've tried to process it because it's kind of complicated so that I can understand it. For some of you, I'm bringing it way too low. You're like, phew, that's elementary. But that's where I'm at, all right? That's where I'm at. So hopefully you'll find it helpful. And uh, because I've got a lot of quotes and things I want to share with you, I'm going to be kind of paging through my notes and don't normally do that. So please excuse me. But I want to make sure I get things straight because there are some of you who are going to probably come up to me afterwards and say, but did you know? And I want to be ready, all right, when you do that, okay? But I respect you. We might have to agree to disagree on some of those things. But let's start what we did with the very first message. When we talked about does God exist and how did, you know, how did life ever arrive? 
You know, people who believe in Darwinian evolution don't like to talk about that. They shy away from it. They like to talk about how life evolved, but they struggle with how did life get here? And when you press them with it, oftentimes they'll say, you know, well, it was just by chance. Or they'll say, you know, life started on the back of crystals. Or they'll say that, you know, uh, they'll use a disproof theory that it's the inherent association of living blocks of matter. Or they'll suggest that life got here through a theory called panspermia. And the theory of panspermia simply says that life was seeded here on earth by aliens. Biochemist. Michael Denton, in his book, Evolution, A Theory in Crisis, observed, nothing illustrates more clearly just how intractable a problem the origin of life has become than the fact that world authorities can seriously toy with the idea of panspermia that aliens put us here. Richard Dawkins will even go so far, the atheist, suggests that that might be a reason of how we ended up here. You know, I believe the evidence points to the fact that the universe, the Big Bang, whatever you want to call it, is a result of God's action. And if it is, that means that God can take emptiness. God can start with nothing and he can create something. God can even take a scoop of dirt and form out of it living beings. I like the story about a group of scientists who decided that they didn't need God anymore. And by the way, I'm not picking on scientists necessarily. We have a tremendous amount of scientists in, in our church at both of our campuses, brilliant men and women who love God, and I so respect them, all right? But this group of scientists uh, didn't necessarily love God a whole lot, and so they decided that uh, they were going to inform God that they really didn't need him anymore, So they selected one of them to go and speak to God. And so she went and and she said to God, God, we can now clone life and do other miraculous things. We really don't need you anymore. You can go on with your business. And God listened very intently and very patiently. And then God said, well, how about this? Why don't we have a people-making contest? And the scientist said, sure, that's no problem. And God said, but we're going to do it the old-fashioned way, like when I created Adam. And she said, not a problem. And she reached down and she grabbed a big scoop of dirt. And God said, no, 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 no. You go find your own dirt. (laughs) Okay, anyway, I thought it was interesting, all right? If you look at it philosophically, you'll, you'll figure out what I was, where I was going with that. All right? Secular evolutionists, all right, have not only a problem with dealing with how we got here, how life actually began, but another struggle is the universe. It doesn't speak of an accident or chance creating life as we know it. As we study the universe, cutting-edge science points the fact that this this universe has been created like a finely tuned Swiss watch. That there are at least 50 constants in this universe that if they didn't exist, if they weren't finely tuned, life would cease to exist as we know it. 
One of those constants is called gravity. How many of you have ever experienced gravity? Every one of us does. And sometimes it hurts a little bit, doesn't it? All right? Gravity is one of four forces. The other three is magnetism. The other one, this is subatomic, is what's called strong force. And the other is called weak force. Let's just talk about gravity for a moment. All right? Do you know that if gravity were to change by just one part in 10,000 billion, 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 relative to the total range of the strengths of the other three forces, conscious life would virtually be impossible anywhere in the universe. In other words, if gravity just changed by, by the smallest minutia, we can't even conceive how small that is, life couldn't exist in the universe. And there are many other constants as well. Let me just share a couple with you. For instance, if the neutron were not exactly as it is, about 1.001 times the mass of the proton, then life would not be possible. You know, we like to think in the macro, the big, you know, when we think about God's creation, think about the sunrise, the sunset, the stars, the sky. We think about everything that's big and huge. But you know, to me, and I'm not a scientist, but I love science. To me, it's in the micro, it's in the smallest things, the little motors in our cells, that you have the greatest complexity and the, and the greatest grandeur of God in his creation. Do you know what the, if the explosion of the Big Bang had differed in strength by as little as one part in 10 to the 60th, that is one part in a trillion, 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 the universe would have either quickly collapsed back on itself or expanded so rapidly that the stars would not have been formed. And although each of these constants is independent, if just one of them is off by the smallest amount, it has a domino effect on all of the others and life cannot exist. Recent studies have now discovered over a dozen different fascinating things that must exist in our solar system and with our planet for you and for me to live here. For instance, think about the planet Earth. It requires that the Earth, that is a lopsided Earth, it requires that the Earth has a specific mass. If the mass changed, we wouldn't be here. For us to live here, it requires a specific magnetic force that is part of the Earth's atmosphere, all right? Part of, of our being here. It requires a large moon that orbits. It requires a G2 dwarf star to exist. It also requires an oxygen-rich atmosphere. And all of this must exist in what is called the galactic habitable zone. And, and I'm just giving you like a couple of things It goes on and on of what must be in order for us to have life and to exist and to think that that came about by some accident. I mean, this universe has been finely tuned so that life can exist, so that we can actually be here. I mean, it's kind of like this little puzzle right here. In essence, what we're saying is that if just one little piece gets out of whack... Man, you've got a mess on your hands. It all comes collapsing down. And you and I take this life. You and I take this earth. We take everything around us for granted. We fail to realize 
that God is the ultimate scientist and he has carefully put the Jenga pieces of creation together. And if just one thing is out of kilter, none of it can possibly exist. None of it can be there. Paul Davies, who is a leading physicist and cosmologist, who doesn't necessarily claim to believe in God, has looked at the evidence that we're talking about and much more. And listen to what he says. He says, I cannot believe that our existence in this universe is a mere quirk of fate. We are truly meant to be here. Patrick Glenn, a Harvard-educated academic and former atheist, says the evidence of a finely tuned universe was instrumental in his conversion to belief in God. Glenn wrote about his spiritual journey in his book, God, The Evidence. He wrote that what cosmology came up with was something of a scientific embarrassment. A universe with a definite beginning, expressly designed for life. Ironically, the picture of the universe bequeathed to us by the most advanced science is closer in spirit to the vision presented in the book of Genesis than anything offered by science since Copernicus. Alan Sandage, who is renowned as the world's greatest observational cosmologist, says the Big Bang was a supernatural event that cannot be explained within the realm of physics as we know about it today. Isn't that awesome? I mean, you've got people that don't necessarily even believe in God saying it's not here by chance, that it's all designed, that it is, it is bequeathed to us by some intelligence. So oftentimes you hear, you know, intelligent design, that phrase being used to describe how everything came to be. But let's talk about origin. You know, how did life actually uh, appear? Did we just come out of a cauldron of a boor, you know, boiling soup of plasma that got struck by a cosmic bolt of lightning and some chemical change happened and something crawled out, as I said earlier, and eventually evolved to the place that we're at today? Or was there an actual creator who called life into being? There are strong clues that indicate, the scientists and others have discovered, that indicate that the first life on earth did not come through gradual, successive steps as the theory of evolution suggests. In fact, the fossil record shows that early life just showed up unannounced and fully formed. Wow, where have we read about that before? What scientific book have we read that in before? Oh, I know people don't want to call the Bible a science book, and in its proper discipline, it's not a science book. But this book reveals that God is active as a creator, that he brought this into being. And as we get more advanced, we're seeing that the evidence corroborates what the scriptures have told us theologically speaking. Another troublesome issue that evolutionists have to wrestle with is the complexity of life itself. You know, life is complex. Every cell in your body, I mean, just pinch your skin for a moment. Think how many cells you're pinching right now. All those cells are incredibly complex, filled with all kinds of intricate information. Cambridge-trained philosopher of science Stephen Meyer writes, Consider what you'd need for a protein molecule to form by chance. First, you need the right bonds between the amino acids. Second, amino acids come in right-handed and left-handed versions. And you've got to get only left-handed ones. 
Third, the amino acids must link up in a specified sequence like letters in a sentence. Run the odds of things run the odds of these things falling into place on their own and you find that the probabilities of forming a rather short functional protein at random would be one chance in a hundred thousand trillion 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 that's a 10 with 125 zeros after it who stays up thinking about that i'm glad they do because that's pretty amazing he goes on, he says, and that would only be one protein molecule. A minimally complex cell would need between 300 and 500 molecules. To suggest chance against those odds is really to invoke a naturalistic miracle. And that leads then to this whole issue of information. You know, our cells are comprised, life is comprised of an enormous amount of information. Intelligent design experts William Dembski and Sean McDowell write, the key feature of life is information-specified complexity. See why I have my notes this weekend? Even the simplest bacterial cells teem with vast amounts of information. A single primitive cell would require hundreds of thousands of bits of information precisely sequenced in its DNA in the entire history of the universe. Chance can only produce 400 bits of pre-specified information equivalent to Shakespeare's famous line, to be or not to be, that is the question, whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer. The first primitive cell is therefore far beyond the reach of chance-based mechanisms. Because there is not evidence of simpler life forms to which bacteria could have evolved, evolutionary biologists are left with a mystery. Here is the key question. How could nature, without intelligent guidance, take the massive informational jumps needed for life to originate? These hurdles simply cannot be cleared without information. This is why a growing number of scientists today are turning to intelligent design as the best explanation for the origin of life. Now, I want you to think about the primitive cell and all that's needed for it. All the information is just needed for it. How can that possibly come about by chance when you start thinking then about the more specialized cells in our bodies? Now, I may be weird, but what I'm going to share with you now gets me really excited. Francis Collins, who was head of the Genome Project, Human Genome Project under President Clinton, charged with decoding human DNA to figure out what it's composed of. They finished that project. Listen to what he says. This newly revealed text, the DNA, was three billion letters long and written in a strange and cryptographic four-letter four-letter code. Such is the amazing complexity of information carried within each cell of the human body that a live reading of that code at a rate of three letters per second would take 31 years, even if reading continued day and night. Printing these letters out in regular font size on normal bond paper and binding them all together would result in a tower the height of the Washington Monument. Commenting on the accomplishment of Collins and his team, President Bill Clinton said, and I do agree with him on this, we are learning the language in which God created life. Isn't that cool? That God would allow us to dance to that place where he says, I'll let you peek at my recipe for life. 
Francis Collins put it this way, three billion letters long, written in a four-letter code, our own instruction book, previously known only to God. And folks, like, I'm just, I'm I'm at 60,000 feet. Just looking at a few things. And there's so much more. Yeah, there's also a lot of mystery. But there's so much more. Why aren't we told about it? Why isn't it taught? Because when your presupposition is that God cannot exist. Or that God cannot create life. You have to go somewhere else. And even though you run into dead ends. And even though the evidence is against you. You just have to stick with it. Because your pride gets in the way. Unless you're willing to submit to God. And you just keep pushing at that dead end. But when you look at the evidence. Honestly, objectively. It speaks. Even scientists who don't necessarily believe in God. Say it speaks to to a creator, to a designer. And they may call him something else. They may have their own theories about it. But you can't explain life and say it happened by accident. You just can't do it. You can't watch the birth of a child and think it's by accident. You can't watch a sunrise or a sunset and think it's by accident. God put this all together. Sin has ruined it. Sin has caused nature to go out of whack like it's caused us to go out of whack. But nonetheless, God is the author and the creator. Now, I know that within creation, I understand this, that there are many different perspectives by Christian scientists and Christian theologians. Did God create in seven days? Was it in eras of time that God created And I understand that there are Christian scientists who believe in what we call microevolution. And I'm not here to argue that. And and don't come up and argue with me, all right, on that. Because I'm not smart enough, remember, all right? You can have all your theories and ideas of how God did it. You can read the Hebrew this way. You can read the Hebrew that way. You can say this is what science shows. You can do all that you want. But here's what I'm trying to say to you. We didn't get here by an accident. We didn't get here by a bolt of lightning. We got here because God called us into being. He is the source and the originator of life. And life would not exist without him. And having said all this, I just want you now to listen as I close to a compilation of verses straight out of Genesis 1. And I encourage you, when you go home this weekend, to read Genesis 1 and 2 again, having listened to this. Genesis chapter 1, listen. Then God said, Let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. And that is what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image, To be like us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his image. What a privilege. What a privilege. What a privilege. Glad God didn't make me a monkey. 
I think monkeys are one of his cool creations. They don't have a soul. They're not made in the image of God. God made you and me in his image, in the shadow of his likeness, with a moral will, with a capacity to, to know him and be known by him. God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then, God blessed them. Isn't that awesome? And you, this weekend, whether you're here on the 111th, you are created in the image of God. You matter so much to him. And he loves you so much. There's no one else like you. There's nobody else like you. You are truly unique. And you're his creation. Would you bow your heads? You know, through this series, maybe you have come in as an agnostic, one who's not sure about your faith. Maybe you've come in as an atheist. Not believing in God. But somehow through this series, your faith has increased. God has spoken to your heart. And the evidence is, is, is overwhelming to you. And you believe that God is, but you've never put your faith in him. You know what? I would love for you this weekend to have that opportunity. To have a relationship with your creator. And he says you can do this by putting faith in his son, Jesus Christ, who loved you so much he gave his life for you to forgive your sins and heal you and to give you a hope and a future if you're here this weekend and you've never asked Christ into your life this is your weekend this is your weekend this is your opportunity your creator is calling you and he wants to bless you and if that's you this weekend I would love to pray with you right now to receive Christ the spirit of God into your life And all I ask you to do, this takes courage, all right? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. It takes courage. I want to ask you to stand where you are. That's your way of saying, God, I surrender. I give up to you. Anybody, young or old, stand and say, that's me. That's me. Tonight, this weekend, I am surrendering to God. Anybody. It's a simple prayer that you can pray. Simply say, Father, I believe in you. Help my unbelief. Confess to you I'm a sinner. Wash my sins away. Come into my life, oh God. I commit to following you the rest of my life. I know it won't always be easy. You're not magic. You're not a genie. You are the living God. And I put my faith and I put my trust in you. If you prayed that prayer, and Christ has come into your life, you need to make sure you tell somebody in guest center, I prayed the prayer. And we have some great material to follow up with you on and to encourage you and help you in your journey. But saints, let me ask you a question. Do you love God this weekend? Wow. Do you love him this weekend? Yeah. We proclaim our love for him, don't we? Because he first loved us. Amen? Let's stand. Let me bless you before you go. Father, I stand here with my brothers and sisters in Christ and we ask you in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit to bestow your blessings upon us. 
We do not ask for prosperity. We do not ask for personal gain. What we ask for is your presence in our lives. That we might know you, the power, the resurrection of your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go in peace. God bless you.